Today, as we jump back into our series, I actually need help with a sermon illustration. I know some of you are going to think, well, he's one of them cheap preachers, but <clears throat> what I need in order to do this illustration is a $20 bill. So if you get your wallet out, and if you would look, and, and you know, I mean, if you don't have a 20, I can make it work with a 10. I mean, if we really have to scrape the bottom of the barrel, I can probably do it with a one. Let's see, oh, there's one over there. All right. Thank you very much. I don't know why the kids are always the first to serve in this church. The adults are like, ain't getting my 20. Here's a sermon illustration. Thanks. (laughs) That's it. Now let me ask you a question. Who does this belong to? Right? Does it belong to me? And what did I just do? I took it, right? And what do we call that? Stealing. Here's what we need to understand today. I don't just take, whether it's money or stuff or whatever it is that I'm stealing, I don't just take and pocket that. What I just did is I pocketed our trust right here. See, there's a relationship. And now there's going to be a lack of trust next time. But here's the thing. I'm not taking your money. Here you go. Didn't think you'd run around so much in church, did you? Thank you for being willing to share that with me for an illustration. You see, today as we continue in our series, Relationship Not Rules, we come to the Eighth Commandment, You Must Not Steal. And once again, we discover that it revolves around relationship, not rules. Because when you and I take the things that don't belong to us, what we do is we trash trust, which is the very foundation of relationship. Our problem when it comes to stealing today is that we tend to think of the hardened criminal, the bank robber. And while Christ is talking to criminals, he's also talking to Christians who choose to get what they want their way instead of his will, which we'll find out in a little bit, is through working. And every day, whether we realize it or not, we are stealing. Sometimes what we're doing is we're robbing people of compassion. That's the way that we're taking Sometimes we we rip off people's good name and ruin their reputation through gossip. We steal a reputation. Sometimes it's seemingly small things like the pens or pencils that belong to the company that somehow end up at home being used for personal use. But you see, what we need to understand is that we're trashing trust. And what you and I are going to discover here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, is it's not just that we can steal from each other, we can also be guilty of stealing from God. You see, when we engage in stealing, it doesn't just hurt society, it hurts the soul. And as you and I think about taking from other people, we are reminded here of the only three ways that we can ever receive anything in this life. The first way that we can receive is through gifts. A second way is through work. And a third way is through stealing. Those are the three ways that we can receive things in this life. 
And if you and I, as we think about the gift of giving, many times the recipient, even though they may be grateful, may not deserve the gift. You see, that's called grace. And how much of what we have received today comes through the gift of grace? You see, the greatest gift that God ever gave was the gift of grace, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that that Jesus came and he stepped out of eternity onto this earth, out into time, into the dirt of this earth to be mocked and spit on and whipped and crucified on a Roman cross. Why? Not to cover our sin, but to cleanse us from all sin so that you and I could have eternal life. And when we confess our sin before Christ and we cry out for Jesus Christ to save us, the Bible says that instead of what we deserve, which is death as a result of sin, we gain the grace of God, which is life because of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, when was the last time you considered what you really have received if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You see, you already have everything that you need. But so often what happens to us is we get focused on the earthly things and not the eternal things, and we start buying into this worldly mentality of our society that our souls can be satisfied by stuff if I just had more stuff. Can I ask you, how much more stuff do we need? We got stuff in the garage. We got stuff in the closet. I had a good friend of mine the other day, and he was like, man, we moved eight years ago, and and we're moving again, and I came across a box that we haven't unpacked in eight years. Last time, we boxed it up and moved. He said, I'm just going to get rid of it. My wife said, no, we got to go through it. There might be some good stuff in there. Well, obviously, it can't be that good. We haven't missed it for eight years. But you see, what we're doing today is we're trying to satisfy our lives with stuff instead of the Savior. And I think on the front end, one of the reasons that we get to this place where we're tempted to take is because we're focused on the things that don't satisfy. We've bought into society that stuff will somehow satisfy my life, and we're not finding our satisfaction in the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. Are you a receiver of grace? Because if you have received grace, then I want to ask you the question, are you giving grace? Because many of us are content to get but not to give. We're what I call grace grabbers and not grace givers. And you know what happens when we fall into being grace grabbers and not grace gifters? We end up being people who end up with this heart where instead of gratitude, there's greed. And we just want more. And I think today we're wanting more and we're wanting more because we've forgotten what we really have. And for many of us as Christians, we're trying to find our satisfaction in the things of the world instead of the things of God. You see, one of the ways that you and I receive is through gifts. Are you giving the gift of grace today? Who are the people around you that you know need to receive the gift of God's grace? And are you sharing that gift? The second way is through work. And contrary to what people want to say, work is not the result of sin. Work is the will of God. You see, it was his perfect plan from the very beginning for our provision. 
And what we discover is that in the garden, Adam was called to tend the ground prior to sin entering the world. Turn with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 28. Here's what God has to say about work, Ephesians 4, 28. If you were a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. You see, it's not just that you and I stop stealing. We got to start working. And what you discover here is the real purpose for work. Do you notice that the purpose of work here is not just to get but to give it's, it's not just about self, it is about serving. And many of us are in vocations today where we're absolutely miserable. Why? Because we've not made it a ministry. Because we've made the whole goal of work self and not serving. We've made the whole goal getting instead of seeing it as a way to be able to graciously give. And so we're miserable. Why? Because we've been bitten by the me monster that life revolves around me. And many of us have this me mentality. We have a me first nation today where it's all about what I can get. And what that leads to is this entitlement. And when you and I start to buy into an entitlement mentality, what happens is we start to feel like it's our right to take instead of that it's wrong to take. And we justify it because we no longer see it as wrong. We see it as our right. You see, it's what I call a welfare mentality. The difference between welfare and work is is welfare focuses on, on what I want. You see, work focuses on the will of God. Now, I'm not saying that that you and I shouldn't help poor people. God has a plan for that. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But but what you and I need to understand today is that when we buy into that kind of a mentality where I'm entitled, it becomes about taking and what I can consume instead of what I can contribute. And what Scripture says here is the thief becomes what? A burden on society. The worker becomes a blessing. Is your mentality, your attitude that drives your actions a burden or a blessing to the people around you? You see, one of the challenging things of work is because we earn it through what we do. It can be productive or destructive based on our heart. If you and I have a humble heart, a a healthy heart, then what we will receive through work is self-respect. But if we have a haunty heart where pride starts to poison our heart, then what happens to you and I is instead of self-respect, there's self-recognition. And it becomes all about, look what I'm doing. And we forget God is the one that granted us the life, granted us the gifting, granted us the opportunity to be able to do the work. And it starts to become about, look at self, instead of a reflection of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has a plan to meet our needs. The question is, do we trust in his plan? And you see, when you go back in Scripture, you discover that God's plan for poverty was not welfare, it was work. The widows who who legitimately had great need, 
They, they were in a dire situation without help. And so what God did is he, he told the farmers in the region, you got to leave the edge of your field, the, the area that's easiest to get to for the people that are poor in your community. You got to start valuing people, not your possessions and your wealth. And what happened is those widows would go out into the field and they would what? They would work. Now, why would God make them work? Because here's something that you and I need to understand today. Work doesn't just provide for our physical need of food. It also feeds us emotionally through self-respect. And what we're doing today with a welfare mentality is we're focusing only on the riches and not on the respect. You see, God wants you to be a person that has a sense of worth and a sense of purpose. And one of the things that we understand is that our worth comes through God's word. But God has also created this thing called work. When you and I go out and work really becomes about serving, there's this satisfaction in our lives, right? But when work is just about self or it's welfare without work, there's no sense of accomplishment. And there are many people today that instead of having a a sense of self-respect, it's a sense of self-loathing, self-hatred. You see, the third way that you and I can receive is to take what doesn't belong to us. And God talks to us about this because it is so tempting to buy into the shortcuts But what we discover, as I mentioned, is that we become people that get the riches but no respect. There's no satisfaction in our hearts. When we have a me-first mentality, there is no ministry and it is only misery. And if you've ever met someone that has built their whole life on just taking, consuming and not contributing, they're miserable people. And God doesn't want you to be miserable. Now, Here's one of the main reasons why we take today, because we are in a society where we don't want to have to wait. And so it's easier to just bypass the waiting and the working and and just shortcut to the taking. But the person who tries to shortcut the seed planting of doing good will always be disappointed. Because here's the thing that you and I need to understand about the seed planting of doing good. There are long stretches of silence between the planting and the harvesting. And during those long stretches of silence, we're working and we're waiting on God. You see, it's in those times that you and I are watering the crop. We are weeding the crop. We are fertilizing the crop and we're planting more seeds. And what happens when we try to shortcut is we help ourselves to a harvest that we were never involved in. And what we're doing today is we're stealing someone else's harvest because we don't want to wait and we don't want to work. And we do it in small, subtle ways, but what we end up with as a society is instead of things being productive, we end up with loss. We're trading today service for skepticism. For this selfish mentality of self first. And we steal in some very interesting ways. Ways that we don't even think of as stealing anymore. You see, 
How many of us, if we're honest, that call ourselves and confess Christ our Savior and call ourselves Christians today are in the business of stealing time, taking time? We were hired to do a particular job, but at certain periods throughout the day, we are surfing social media. We weren't hired to do that. that that's what we want to do because we have become so addicted to technology today that we can't even go through the workday without constantly checking. And it has nothing to do with work. It has everything to do with self. And what we're doing is we're stealing time. And we think, oh, it's no big deal. It was just five minutes here. It was just five minutes there. And, and, and at the end of the year, how much time have we taken? We're ruining people's reputation because we're robbing that reputation today through gossip. And we think it's no big deal. You and I, we wouldn't think about going to the boss and saying, hey, can I use the copier to make personal copies? Maybe it's for your graduation. I don't know what you need a copy for. We just do it. Well, I've worked here for 15 years. I've put in my time. I deserve it. You see the entitlement mentality that takes over in our lives. And we justify it based on how we feel instead of coming back to God the Father. There's a true story about a cab driver. I believe it was in London. This guy had an ingenious way of getting rid of his garbage, his trash. Every morning he'd gather it up and he'd package it really nice. He'd put it on the back seat of the cab and then he'd just start picking people up. And he said there was never a day where at the end of the day it wasn't gone. Someone would get in the cab and they'd see it and they'd think to themselves, huh, last guy left their stuff. I don't know that the cab driver's paying attention. Hey, thanks, this is my stop. And what'd they steal? Garbage. That's a perfect picture of what we're doing today. We're choosing garbage over God. But you see, this guy in order to get rid of his garbage, started to buy into this sinful human nature if he would just package it in a way that it looked delightful or or something of maybe some value that someone would just take it. Do you realize that businesses in this country, just about every product that we buy has a percent built in for theft? Because they know they're going to lose a certain percentage and so they just jack the price up to match the theft. We're paying the price economically today. But you realize it's not just the price economically, it is the price emotionally. Because we have become a society that we spend billions of dollars every year locking everything up we own, surveillance systems to watch everybody on the planet. Why? Because we no longer trust anybody. Do you realize the cost of taking? It's trashing our trust. Now, I'm not going to ask you to show your hand, but let me ask you, how many of you lock your vehicle when you park in the parking lot at church? How much trust do we have with one another today? Now, I've got to share a story with you. This happened to me yesterday. Absolutely, completely blew me away. I, I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, this should be the way society is, but things have gotten so bad in our country, in our community when it comes to trust but I got this trailer and I need to change a tire on it. And you know how engineers love to focus on how it's going to look, not necessarily how it's going to function when there's a problem. And so they didn't leave a whole lot of room around the lug nut, okay? And so I need a fairly thin-walled tire iron. Don't worry, I got it fixed. That I need to go get. 
So I went down to Scott's Bluff, and I go into the hardware store, and I'm telling them my situation, and we find one that maybe will work, but I don't really know until I try it. And so I said, is it possible for me to purchase it? If it doesn't work, I'll bring it back, and you can give me a refund. And the lady looks at me, and she says, sir, you do not have to do that. You take it and go try it, and if it doesn't work, bring it back. And I said, I don't have the trailer out here in the parking lot. It's in Mitchell. And she said, it doesn't matter. I trust you. Now, she didn't know me. Why should we be shocked by that today? And here's the deal. We're talking about a $15, $20 tire. And we're not, we're not talking like I walked out with a gold bar or a new Lexus or something, okay? But we just don't trust anymore. And what's happening is we are trashing relationships because we're trashing trust. You see, this affects the relationships not only that we have with other people, but our relationship with God. And here's what we're buying into today. If I take, I will gain, but we lose. Because instead of getting, what we're doing is we're gutting. And what we're gutting is the greatest resource on the planet, which is relationships. Those of you that are bosses, your greatest resource is your workers. It's not your building, it's not your stuff, it's not your fancy plant or any of that. It is people. And we've got to take care of people. We've got to value people. But what we do is we value the possession, whatever it is that we've got our eye on, more than we do the person that we're taking it from. And so what happens is it doesn't just hurt them, it hurts us. Let's say for a moment that we're robbing someone of their reputation through gossip. What actually happens to us? People stop trusting us because they're like, that guy said this, 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 and this. I no longer trust them. And what we gain is actually a loss because we find ourselves lonely and isolated and cut off from relationship. And some of you, that's what you have gained because you have trashed the trust you have with people. See, you and I need to understand what happens when we take, everybody loses. I love those true dumb criminal stories. And there's a dumb criminal story, true story, about a guy that walked into a convenience store. He pulled out a $20 bill, put it on the counter, and he said to the clerk, can you make change? And the moment the clerk opened the cash register, he pulled out a gun and said, give me all the money. Okay? He trashed trust. But here's the thing that happened. In his panic to flee the store, he grabbed what he could out of the cash register and he left his $20 bill on the table. Now, he not only left his nice fingerprints on the $20 bill, but when he got down the street and he counted what he had actually stolen, it amounted to 15 bucks. So economically, he walked in and traded a 20 for 15. That's a loss. And that's what we're doing. But you see, it wasn't just an economic loss. It also is a loss of relationship. You see, it's reckless behavior. Because what we're doing today is we're destroying ourselves. And in the process, we're destroying society and the people around us. John Smith was a brilliant carpenter, did phenomenal work. 
He was a man who was very conscientious, a man of integrity. And one day his boss called him in who was a multi-million dollar contractor. And he said, John, I've been watching you for several years now. Love your work. You do such exquisite work. And and, and there's so much of a work ethic in your life and an integrity. And so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give you a promotion. And the next house that we build, you will oversee it from the ground up. John was ecstatic. It was the break he had been looking for. And so he went home, he celebrated with his wife, and then he went to the basement, and he started to look at the blueprints when a thought crossed his mind. You know, I could cut some corners, and I could pocket the difference. He'd never done that before. This was a man of integrity, but all of a sudden, he realized no one would know. And so that's what he started to do. He ordered second-grade lumber and called it the best on the report. He found the cheapest wiring he could. He got subpar concrete. Any place that he could cut corners, he cut corners because he believed at the end of the day he could paint it up and make it look like a million dollars. The day came when the house was completely finished and it looked great, but everyone but John, only John knew what was really behind the walls. It was the worst work he'd ever done in his life. His boss called him in and he said, John, I I value you for your integrity, your enthusiasm, your hard work. The house looks great. Here's what I want you to understand. You weren't building the next house for us to sell. I wanted to gift you and you just built your own home. Man, I sure wish I hadn't cut any corners, right? You see, from that moment on, John was always worried about Is the wiring behind the walls going to cause a fire? How many winters will it be before the concrete starts to crack and crumble? You see, even though only John knew what was behind the walls of the house, here's the reality. He had to live in that. And today what we're doing in cutting corners is we're compromising our character. This is our house. This is what we live in. And you and I, we can't get away from that. And there are some of you in here, it looks good on the outside, but you know that there's subpar wiring and concrete and lumber because you have chosen to compromise your character and just to paint it up to look good on the outside. You see, it's also here that we're reminded that we can steal from God. And this is something we don't talk about a whole lot. But remember, the Ten Commandments, the first four revolve around a relationship with God. The next six are relationship with one another and they intertwine. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Some of you are like, I didn't know there was a Malachi, so you learned something today. If you don't know where that's at, it's okay. You can go to the very last book of the Old Testament, or you can go to Matthew and go one book back. But as you come to Malachi chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 8. Malachi 3.8 says this, Should people cheap God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in the temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the window of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't be able to have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail. 
or fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's army. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's army. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, what is the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? You see, it's here that you and I realize that we have a responsibility and a reward when it comes to tithing. And I want you to notice here that what happens in our relationship with God doesn't take long to show up in our relationship with other people. You see, they were withholding their tithes because they wanted to get rich and they didn't want to trust God. And so what happened is the temporal treasury dwindled to nothing and that was used to meet the needs of people that were desperately poor. And so because they had been withholding from God, there was nothing to meet those people's needs. And so those people turned around and started to steal and take from other people. You see, it wasn't long before the taking from God turned to taking from other people. What happens in your relationship with God will spill over into your relationship with every other person. You know, one of the most powerful forces on the planet is a giving church. And it has very little to do with the size of the congregation or the size of the collection. It has to do with the heart of the giver. And I've been pondering a question for about a month now. And this is the question, and I want to share it with you. Do you know any churches that are entirely comprised of givers? What church do you know where everybody in that church is a giver? Could we say that about our church? The truth is, the vast majority of churches, some give, but not all give. Dr. Hugh McKean was a medical doctor turned missionary that shares about a church in Thailand where every person in that church was a giver. Now, that's what the New Testament church originally looked like. And they were living out a biblical New Testament church. There were 400 people in this church. Every one of them was a giver. Now, you have to understand they were people of poverty. Every week, on average, the people in this congregation received 30 cents and a small bag of rice. They were poor people. And yet they started to tithe a portion of that back to God. Now, some of you would say, what's the point? It's 30 cents. How much did God get? Three cents, 10 cents? Not a lot. Handful of rice? What's the point? But see, collectively... Here's what they did together. They not only supported their own pastor, but they supported several missionary families that went to places in Thailand that previously the gospel had never gone. They got to see people get saved because of the gift of their generosity. Now, there's another thing that every person in this church had in common. Not only were they all givers, they were all lepers. Every one of them had leprosy. You see, at the turn of the century, Dr. Hugh felt called by God to go into missions. And when he got to Thailand, he said this, I want to love the least. And it really didn't take long to figure out who were the least. No one wanted to love the lepers. But he chose to love them. 
And he started the first leper colony in Thailand. But you see, it wasn't long before it went from a colony of lepers to a church that loved the Lord. It wasn't about their affliction. It was about the Almighty. Now, why would they so generously give out of their poverty? Because they understood the lavish love of the Lord. No one else had loved these lepers, but Jesus loved these lepers through a man that submitted himself to God's will for his life. I believe that our giving to God is tied to our love for God. And many of us are little givers because we have a limited love for the Lord instead of a lavish love for the Lord. And today when it comes to tithing, here's what we're doing. We're making it about the amount and not about the Almighty. We have become people who are so focused on the percentage that we've forgotten the person that we're giving the gift to. We become percentage focused, not person focused. Let me tell you something about giving. God loves a cheerful giver, not a calculated giver. Giving has nothing to do with the head and everything to do with the heart. You see, it is not an intellectual pursuit of the head, but rather the love language of the heart. And to the degree that you love God will be to the degree that you give to God. And I'm not just talking about your treasures, but your talents, your time, your life. Now, I want to share with you about a man named Jim Bolander. Jim was a farmer in Nebraska for many, many years. And quite a few years ago, early in his farming, he arguably had probably the greatest, best-looking crop in the whole region. Literally the day before harvest started, they had the worst hailstorm they'd ever had in that whole region, and he was completely wiped out, not a single thing left to harvest. And as Jim stood there on the edge of what should have been a cornfield, but it was mowed to nothing, complaining and crying out to God, he said this, God, why'd you let my farm get hailed? And he said, God reminded me, Jim, it's not your farm. You've been telling everyone about how great a farmer you are, but here's the thing, all you did was plant the seeds. Jim, I created those seeds. You've been working it and watering it, but I made the water. I I provided the water for you. I gave you the breath to do the work. But you want to talk about you and not about me. And here's the thing, it's my farm. And, And if I want to hail it out, what's that to you? So Jim went home. And he sat down, he grabbed the hands of his bride, Mary Jane, and they prayed together. And here's what they said. God, if you would allow us to be faithful stewards of your farm, then our heart's desire would be to give your farm away to missions. The next day, they had people come in and assess the ground to find out what it was really worth. They assessed the buildings. They assessed the equipment. If there was anything on that place worth anything financially, they figured out what it was worth, and they totaled it all up. And as many of you can imagine, it was a large sum of money. And they said, that's what we want to give to missions. And so they made it their goal to be the managers of God's farm for missions. Over the next 40 years, they worked hard. They experienced hailstorms. Things were not perfect. There were good years. There were bad years. There were mediocre years. But you know what happened? Over 40 years of faithful service, they gave away the farm three times to missions. 
But we don't trust God, do we? You see, I asked Jim to teach me about the heart of generosity. Because every time I watched that man, he was meeting a need. He was loving someone. He was helping someone. And here's the amazing thing. This guy should have been broke. But you see, that's what the world wants you to believe. But what does the word of God say? God says, test me. This is the only place where God's saying, you can test me. Now, be careful what you test God on, but you can test him when it comes to giving. Because here's the thing. God is generous, and he will reward the heart of a giver. What's amazing to me is that many of us, we want to test God this way. I want to get, so I'm going to give. That's not testing the heart of God. That is just reflecting a life that focuses on your flesh, not a life of faith. But you can't outgive God. You know why his shovel is so much bigger than yours? Just think about what God's already given you. Right now we're breathing, right? Who's there? Who gave you that life? Who provided that work? Who provided that amazing spouse that you have, those amazing kids? You and I could name thing after thing after thing that you cannot buy at Walmart. It can only come through the grace and the generosity of our big giver, God. And so I asked Jim, Jim, would you teach me to be a giver? Would you teach me to have a heart of generosity? Now, I expected that it would be like an eight or ten-week class that I'd go through. And here's what Jim said, just one thing. He said, Giles, the next time you open up your wallet to give to God, here's what I want you to stop doing. Here's what I want you to start doing. I want you to stop looking at your wallet and deciding how much of your money you're going to give to God, and I want you to start deciding how much of God's money you're going to keep. That changed my whole perspective. You see, I had a secular mindset. It was about a percentage, not about the person. You and I here get to see the reward of generosity. And what's amazing to me is that the nation of Israel failed to recognize that by withholding from God, God would withhold from them. It didn't just affect their welfare. It affected their witness. Why? Because they became a me-first nation not a Messiah first nation. We're in that stage today. And we read these stories in the Old Testament and we're reliving the same history as a nation. We become a me first nation. And what's it affecting? It's affecting our welfare, right? And what are we focused on today? Economy, economy, economy. But what we're failing to see is more than that, it is affecting our witness to the world our witness for Jesus Christ. Because when we just become takers and God says, I'm done giving, there's this drastic change in our life and no longer do we become a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. What we start to reflect, our testimony is one of selfishness which reflects more Satan than it does the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to close with this story missionary who had been called by God to go preach the word in Africa was one day sitting in his mud hut when there was a knock on the door. He opened the door to see this young African boy with this huge fish that he had just caught down at the river. I mean, it was still alive. And this kid said to him, Reverend, last week in Sunday school, you taught us about tithing and I've brought you my tithe. And so he took that fish and he put it aside and he looked at the boy and he said, now that's your tithe? The kid smiled and said, yeah, 
That's what I want to give to God. And he said, well, if that's your tithe, where's the other nine fish? And the boy smiled and he said, they're still in the river and I'm on my way to get them right now. You see, what most of us do when it comes to giving to God is we do all of our fishing. We take a look at the whole catch. And then we determine what are we willing to let go of. But you see, today, most of us are not giving our first fruits. We're giving God our leftovers, not our love. Why? We don't trust him. Because we're afraid. What, what, what if I go, and this was a huge fish, what if the rest of the fish are small? What if I don't catch any of the fish? Maybe what I'll do is I'll just cut this one up and give, give part of a tithe. You see, it's not about the amount. It's about the Almighty. So here's the question for us. Where are you really at? Are you a contributor for Christ or just a consumer? For some of you, you may need to go to your boss and have a conversation and say, hey, you know what? I heard a sermon this weekend. I took some pens from the company that don't belong to me. Here they are. I stole some time and I've sat down. I've kind of figured that up. Here's about what I owe you. You need to take that out of my next paycheck. For some of you, you've got to have a conversation with God because you don't really trust God in areas of your life. And we we have these times in our life where we get so focused on the money, don't we? But look at the generosity of God. God wants to not just meet every need you have, but he wants to fill your cup so that it overflows. Why? So that you can't contain the blessing and you're forced to share that blessing with the people around you. It is not about our prosperity. It is about proclaiming what should be the love of our life, the Lord of our life. I want to pray and then I'm going to share one other quick thing with you. Father, thank you for this time together. And I pray that we would be people who reflect your character through caring, through giving, through being generous with our time, with our tithes, with our talents, with everything that you've given us. Father, help us to remember we are just your stewards. We're here to manage your money. And Father, help us to manage it well so that one day when we stand before you, we will hear the words, good done, well done, good and faithful servant. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Angel and I, uh, right after the service, are going to be leaving for Rochester, Minnesota. Um, the Brian Convention, which is all of our Brian churches in Rochester this year, uh, we will be speaking tomorrow morning to a group of pastors. So we'll ask you to pray for safety and for that. And then when convention gets done, which is at the end of this next week, Angel and I, um, we're, we're actually going to take a couple of motorcycles. We're going to run up uh, Canada. We're going to try to ride Lake Superior, but just be praying uh, for safety in the midst of all of that. The next three weekends, um, got some great preachers lined up, and so I want to encourage you to support them, to be praying for them, to encourage for us to continue to be the church that God has called us to be. Let's be dismissed.